Well, thank you very much. It is an honor to be here uh, for me uh, this morning, for you uh, in the evening time, I believe. Uh, and, and there's different, uh, I, I, there's a beautiful picture uh, in the gallery that I'm looking at today. Uh, and I tell you, uh, one thing that I see is that you guys are a beautiful people and, and from a very beautiful country. So I'm excited to be here. Thank you for the honor. Uh, thank you for the introduction, Rajiv. I see that my mother sent in the, uh, uh, the bio on me. Uh, so thank God that she still has some nice things to say. Well, I wanted to, I want to jump right in. I want to see if we can maximize our time. And uh, I hope, and I'm praying for you. Uh, know that we have been praying for you for quite some time. Let me uh, tell you a little bit about myself. As as uh, just as Rajiv has mentioned, I'm the founder and CEO of a parenting ministry by the name of Victorious Family. We have been uh, in operation for about 12 years, uh, and I'll, I wanted to walk you through. Uh, really what that looks like in my story. But today I'm praying for these outcomes. Number one, I'm, I'm praying just to connect with you, get to know you, uh, connect with you, encourage you and add value to you. And, and thirdly, to explore a model of family transformation. And you'll see the relevance in that in a minute. Um, and so I wanted to just start with my story and my purpose. And in this, I hope that you see a part of your story and your purpose. And so I want to start with, I'm from Chicago, Illinois. Here in America is hometown for me. The home of the Chicago Bulls, the home of the Bears, and the home of the White Sox. Some may say Chicago Cubs, but I'm a White Sox fan. The home of the Black Hawks, but also the home of Barack Obama and the home of so many. And so I was born and raised there, and that led me on to the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, which is about an hour and a half from Chicago. And then I went on years later to get my, um, and I've been honored with a doctoral degree in leadership as well as philosophy. Uh, but the University of Illinois, I graduated in uh, business and marketing uh, with an accounting minor. And so that uh, has been a blessing. Uh, but that is also the bigger blessings where I met my wife. Uh, my wife, Wanda, uh, is uh, the joy of my life. Uh, and, she, and together we have uh, produced uh, three beautiful children, uh, Kanita, Tori, and my youngest, Taryn Danielle. Uh, we have been married now for 38 years, uh, and it's been a joy. Uh, and our kids are all grown now. They're married and now they have kids. And so we now have five grandkids and uh, uh, I am just so thrilled. We get a chance to uh, spoil them and then send them home. It's a beautiful thing being a grandparent. Uh, but we, we have been blessed um, with a beautiful wife and, and beautiful children. And so uh, we all bring welcome from Atlanta, Georgia today. I want to tell you a little bit about me very quickly, and I'll go through this quickly. In terms of my corporate background, I've been uh, had the pleasure to serve with Johnson & Johnson, uh, McNeil Consumer Products, which is Tylenol products, if you know, uh, Citibank. I, I was the uh, leader in Citibank Florida for five years, and then I was recruited to the Coca-Cola company by the same recruiter who recruited me to Citibank. 
And I'll tell you a little on that story in a minute. Uh, and that's what brought me here to Atlanta some 25 years ago was the Coca-Cola company on the fountain side in particular. There's a bottle and can side of Coca-Cola and a fountain side of Coca-Cola that you might find in most of your restaurants and sporting events and things like that. And I ended up uh, leading uh, one, what they call the largest segment within the Coca-Cola company, which is quick service restaurants. Those would be places like McDonald's and Wendy's and Burger King's and, and other kind of non fast food type of places, which McDonald's is the largest account within the Coca-Cola company on the fountain side. Um, my, I also have been a business owner. So not only have I received the check, but I've also issued the check. Uh, and there's a difference, as you know, as a business owner, when you sign the front of the check versus the back of the check. And so I've had the good pleasure to doing both. And uh, I've owned what we call Atlanta Bread Company. Atlanta Bread Company is, is a quick service kind of food restaurant. Uh, they served uh, sandwiches, soups, and salads, and things of that nature. Uh, and we started in one of the first few starting out franchises. And we had multiple franchises that I owned for over 10 years. Um, and so I'm going to tell you a little bit of story uh, as how the Lord worked in my life while I was at Atlanta Bread Company. Uh, but also all throughout. So I want to take you through, um, uh, there's also been a ministry journey for me. Uh, and that ministry journey, I'm an elder in the church for now 12 years, Perimeter Church here in Duluth, Georgia. I'm a Bible study teaching leader with Bible Study Fellowship. And I have led three global ministries over the last 12 years. I've been involved with Focus on the Family as Vice President of Community Impact Outreach. I've been president and CEO of Fellowship of Companies for Christ, which at that time was the largest marketplace ministry in the world, working with Christian CEOs, just like yourself. And then as of now, I have been with John Maxwell Equipped Leadership. We've trained over 7 million leaders on leadership issues. Uh, and I've headed up two of John's nonprofit organizations, which is Equipped Leadership and the John Maxwell Leadership Foundation. So that's given me a, a, an interesting background uh, that's uh, of corporate America uh, as an entrepreneur and as a nonprofit leader. And so I've had my toes dipped in many waters. But what I found is that everything rises and falls on leadership. And, it, and you guys represent leadership, you represent change. But I've also been through three major crises during my career. The first crisis was at Johnson & Johnson. There was five deaths tied to Tylenol pills in 1982, in fact, September of 1982. And that was, that was happening in Chicago, Illinois. That was my territory. I was in a new uh, entry uh, uh, worker coming into Johnson & Johnson as a territory manager. In fact, it happened a week before my orientation training. And, but yet, it happened in my territory, Chicago, Illinois. And so I experienced one of the greatest crises that a company could ever face, but also the greatest opportunity. You know, in 24 hours, we lost 94% of our market share. Can you imagine losing 94% of your market share within 24 hours due to this type of crisis? Well, today we're probably experiencing something very similar to that. And in this case, uh, what we saw, we could have 
uh, looked at this as a pandemic. We could have looked at this as doom and gloom. But what our, our president and CEO, Dr. James Burke, the way he looked at it was a moment of opportunity that we could begin to change the very consumer products industry with safety seal packaging. And the reason that we have safety seal packaging on all of our products today is because of this incident that took place in 1982 in Chicago, Illinois. And now we all see product with safety seal packaging that was created as a result of this crisis. But then fast forward as I moved through my career uh, and I joined banking in 1990, it was just coming off of the greatest crises that this nation has ever seen. It was a Black Monday, a crash of the stock market in 1987. In fact, it was a greater crisis than the Great Depression and it was a greatest crisis than, than 2008. In 1987, the financial markets crashed. It was called Black Monday. You saw where wealth had been, had just basically disappeared overnight. And this crash uh, started and it went global, started in Hong Kong, but it really spread throughout the international very quickly and went global. But there's a third crisis that I faced as well while I was at Coca-Cola. In fact, many may not refer to it as crisis, but for a company, it was a crisis. You see, we were dealing with a change in product mix. Coca-Cola had moved on to a better taste, a greater taste. We called it New Coke. New Coke was a little sweeter, it was a little bit more attractive. In fact, we were responding uh, to Pepsi. Pepsi had launched through John Scully, who was the president at that time of marketing. Uh, you may know John Scully because he went on to lead the Apple company. And in fact, he's the one that really kind of fired Steve Jobs. And so uh, he was recruited by Steve Jobs and, and uh, he was known, John Scully was known as one of the top marketers in the nation. And he went on, uh, he was leading a movement called the Pepsi Generation. And they were conducting taste tests and things of that nature. Um, and they were being very successful on the bottle and can side and taking market share from Coca-Cola. And so we responded to that and we launched New Coke. But New Coke was an absolute disaster. You know, all of our, our focus groups, all of our research, everything we had done told us that New Coke was going to be a winner. We spent over $150 million to determine that New Coke was going to be a winner in the marketplace. But yet within seven days, New Coke was not only a, win a loser, it was one of the greatest crises that Coca-Cola has ever faced. In fact, it was a failure, but yet it was turned into an opportunity. We used New Coke to basically uh, stifle Pepsi in the marketplace while we brought back Coca-Cola Classic and the rest is history. Um, and so those are some crises that I faced on the corporate America side. So as I look at this crisis, this pandemic due to COVID-19, I think I can go back and reach and hopefully draw back from some of those lessons and takeaways that I wanna share with you today. But as I looked at the list that you uh, put into the chat room, uh, you talked about 
the crises of today that you're experiencing, the crises of your business, the crises of, of the economy, the crises uh, that we're all facing uh, uh, individually as a business owner, the crises that we're facing around the world due to health issues, a health crisis, which had nothing to, to do in terms of what we cause, but it was a result of a health pandemic. Well, I'm here to introduce to you another crisis. And it's a crisis that you might not be thinking about necessarily, but I wanna bring it to the forefront. And this crisis is centered around the family. The family today is in crisis. And if it's unchecked, this crisis will continue to wreak havoc, not only on our nation, not only on your nation, but, in, but the entire world. You see, nations rise and fall based on the spiritual condition of his nation. But nations rise and fall based on the health of the family in your society. And so I want to talk about this pandemic that no one's talking about. They're talking about business pandemic. They're talking about health pandemic. But what we all have to realize is that it's impacting the family, your family and my family. And now we have all caught a glimpse of this true, of our true self through this, through this pandemic. Families today in America and around the world are facing a crisis, a crisis like they've never seen. Your employees who work for you, their families are facing a crisis but no one's really looking at it. Well, this, Christ, this, this is one of the greatest crises that's happening, that's happening right underneath our nose. We're seeing, uh, it's, it's not necessarily a workplace, in the workplace, but it is your workers, the family. You see, we're seeing fragmented families all around the world. We're seeing the absenteeism of fathers, the authority leaders in the home. We're seeing all types of cultural pressures putting great demands on our children and on our families. We're seeing a decline in biblical worldviews over the past four generations. In other words, the way we look at things, the lenses in which we look at them and evaluate them and use logic and critical thinking has shifted. It has shifted from a biblical worldview to a worldview. It has shifted and changed its values. And as a result, generations are being raised in the greatest crises that this, that this world has ever seen. But many of us are blind to it, although we see the impact of the crisis. We're blind as to what's causing the crisis. And there's been a shift in our value system. And that shift is impacting not only ourselves, our family, but our communities, our workplaces, and our nation. Well, let's take a look at this crisis that's happening right underneath our noses that we're not talking about at all. You see this crisis in, for example, in America, we have broken out this crisis into generations. Builders, boomers, busters, bridges, some will know as millennials, and then the next generation, which will be Gen Z. We have seen a significant decline in biblical worldview. We have seen a significant decline in evangelical Christians, or at least confessing to be, or, or people of faith. 
And in this, you see where well, we looked at things from a biblical worldview back in the builder's generation, but there was a significant shift in the boomer's generation. Those that, that are in my age group and probably in some of yours, but some uh, may not be, you know, some of you are in that Buster and Bridges generation. But uh, as we look at 77.8 million boomers, and these are American stats, uh, that were born in America, the largest generation ever born until the millennial generation. There was a significant shift in our worldview. And this has created a tidal wave, a crisis, uh, not only across this nation, but really throughout the world. And this shift is significant. Is anyone paying attention to it? And this pandemic has been going on now for over 50 years. It's a systemic issue that's impacting your home and my home. And so when we dig deeper, uh, Dr. Harold Davis, uh, a great author here from his book, and I call you a soldier. I realized that a warrior can only, is only responsible for those within his reach. Well, my family, my kids, my wife, they're in my reach. And he's not required to be successful on every battlefront but only on the one where he has been deployed or she has been deployed. You and I have been deployed in our homes and communities for one reason, and this is to do battle. And the question is, when less than 1% of parents have any type of written plan to lead and guide and direct their faith or their spiritual values, no wonder that we're in a crisis. We're in one of the greatest crises well beyond the pandemic that you've ever seen. Yes, we have, a, we have a, a, an economic crisis. Yes, we have a business crisis. Yes, we have what I call a velocity of cash crisis, meaning I can spend a dollar today and normally that dollar would, would have velocity in other markets and impact other markets. But today, that's not happening. You can have a dollar, but there's nowhere to even spend it. There's nowhere to go. Our restaurants are closed. Our travel, for the most part, is shut down. Our businesses are closed. And so now we have been confined to the home, most of us around the world. And now that we have been confined, we're starting to do some self-reflection. Many of us are going through depression. Many of us are going through family scenarios we never even imagined. Why? Because we were not born for isolation. We were not born for quarantine. We were born for community. And when you take away community, you take away a, a huge value of the person. And so where's that first community for many of us who have families? It's our family. It's our marriage. It's our kids. And for those of you who don't have families, but you're business owners, keep in mind that you employ people that have families. They're going through great crises right now because they feel the crises that they ignored for many, many decades. Well, we cannot ignore this crisis any longer. In fact, you might be thinking, Terrence, I, I, I thought this was gonna be a business conversation, a conversation around the crises in the marketplace. It is. It's the greatest crisis that you will face in your business and in mine. You see, what we've done is an old paradigm. We've basically have said to the institutions, i.e. the church, which 
I am a huge advocate for the church. Let me say that. In fact, I'm an elder in the church, has been an elder for 12 years. And I, my, my advocacy is that the church must get healthy. The church must get healthy. And in this process, we're witnessing the end of values in our society. And what has happened is we've abdicated that to the church. We've abdicated that to our educational systems, which doesn't work. We've abdicated that to the government, which doesn't work. We've abdicated that to the, maybe the university, which doesn't work. We've abdicated that to sports type of ministries. It doesn't work. We've abdicated to so many people and it's been absent in our home. You see this new paradigm of faith and value and institute back into our home, it has to start in our home. It must be a paradigm shift where it's home-centered and church-supported or home-centered and somewhere else supported. But the fact of the matter is it must start in your home and in mine. Well, you know, there was a Barna, and Barna is a, is a popular research organization here in the United States. And they did a study uh, and it found that 98% of youth pastors believe that spiritual formation of children should begin in the home. But look at this, 65% of our parents have expressed a feeling of inadequacy in teaching their children around biblical principles. In other words, we don't feel adequate in sharing our faith or in sharing values with our kids. It's difficult for us to have the conversations, why? because we can't teach what we don't know. I'm not saying you don't know. I'm just saying if we look at the whole, our society is losing its moral and spiritual. In fact, I believe it's a decay that is wrecking havoc on this world and certainly on our nation here in America. And so as I prayed through this during the fourth year that I owned Atlanta Bread Company, the Lord was moving me to, to do something that I had no idea he would move me to do. If he would have told me to start another business and, and use my business as a marketplace for ministry, which is my passion, I could have understood that. In fact, I owned my first business when I was six, seven years old. Interesting enough, it was in the pop bottle recycling business. And years later, I would go to lead 36, a significant portion of the Coca-Cola company. But he led me to something different. He led me to focus on the family and think about what it looks like to have a victorious family. What does that even mean? What does it mean that the Great Commission would be a movement that happens through the family, that happens at home? Well, that's really uh, what we've practiced for many, many decades before, many centuries before, is that it was in the home that we taught these values that we invested in our children, that we dealt with it, but we've lost our way. We've lost our way all around this world. And so our mission is to equip and empower what we call family champions, parents, who are really focused to make mature and thriving, faithful families. Now, I'm not sure what your belief system is. You may have many beliefs, uh, but we'll talk about that. I just want to keep us focused on the center right now is where is your family? What is the spiritual condition of your home and your family? Are you going through a crisis today that you're not realizing 
the core root of the crisis. You see, the greatest need for children today and the greatest need for our homes is that children need to spend time with their parents. If you were anything like me, if you were building a business and you were investing in that business, I mean, probably 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week was going into your work. And for many of us, not intentional, but our marriages may have suffered or our children's may have suffered because we didn't spend time with them, real quality time, quality time where we're investing in values and the needs of our children. And therefore, if we don't invest in them, believe me, someone else will. The culture will. The media will. Education systems will. So time with parents was the most important need that was noted by children coming out of the studies by Barnum. The second thing that they found is that kids need to feel loved, to feel loved and affirmed that they're important. And many of us, we invest our time, our energy, our efforts to learn how to love, how to invest in our, in our business staff, but yet we lack that love at home. We lack that focus at home. And fathers, I want to speak to you directly for a minute as I look into the camera. There's never a time in a child's life that they don't crave the love of the father. They crave your love. You know, it, it reminds me of a story of a good friend of mine and, and who just recently passed, and he's yeah. from your hometown. He's, he's probably a good friend of yours as well, Ravi Zacharias. Dr. Ravi Zacharias, um, I tell you, was an amazing man, uh, an apologetic. And I sat under his teaching and just listened to him on his, through his radio stations and so forth and his books. And I remember just hearing the life of Ravi Zacharias, a man who tried to commit suicide, by, I believe at the age of 17 and 18, but yet the Lord called him into a different direction, a greater purpose. For many years, he felt that he, he didn't feel of affirmation. He didn't feel love from his father. But yet, many years later, that was restored because he found a greater love. And so the impact that dads have on their children is significant. If you go back and look at any child's life, the first thing you need to ask them is, how was your relationship with your father? How was it with your parents? And many of them will tell you that they struggle in that area because fathers have been just too busy focused on things outside of the home. And then we're finding the third thing is that there's a higher, deeper purpose is ranked very strong with children that I'm going to share with you in a minute. Well, Victoria's family, I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine, just like we did with the Tylenol crisis, just like we did with the financial crisis in the 80s, just like we did with the new Coke crisis, imagine hope. Imagine a new opportunity. Imagine a new day. Imagine with families who are hurting today, they start to thrive. Even during this time of pandemic, they start to thrive. Maybe the Lord is saying, be still right now. Maybe we've been too busy. You know, I was sharing uh, with Raji before I joined this call 
that last year I was in the top 10% of all travelers for the Delta Airlines company. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, surpass that in 2021. Uh, that means I have been away from my home the majority of 2019. But yet, uh, I've had the good fortune that my wife would travel with me. And we're empty nesters now, so it didn't have a great impact. But one of the things I never wanted to sacrifice when I was in corporate America, I always wanted to be available for my children and for my wife. There's times that I would be on a business trip, but maybe my son had a baseball game or my daughter had an event. I fly back and then I fly back out because I knew time with my children was more valuable than anything that I could do in corporate America. But yet as a business owner, it can get difficult because we're so focused on building that baby. We're so focused on building the passion that we have. Sometimes we inadvertently see a crisis at home because we neglected it. I want to tell you it's the greatest crisis. It's beyond even the economic pandemic that you're seeing today. The health pandemic is greater than that. I want you to imagine families being a light in the world. I want you to imagine the multitudes multiplied and mobilized worldwide to bring this message across the world. I want you to see families in a different light than where they are today. The reason that we're facing this pandemic is because we have ignored the family. We have disinvested in the family. Not all of us, but the majority of the world. I'm speaking all around the world. I don't care if you're from Asia, Africa, Latin America, Europe, wherever you want to go. There's a crisis that I'm seeing in the family that we have not recognized. And I think the pandemic, this health pandemic, is bringing it to light. I don't know what's happening in your family. Only you do. But I can tell you, there are, there are signs of a dysfunctional family all around this world. And it's impacting, by the way, your business. And it will continue to. So here are some healthy signs of family. Uh, one is the families that are focused. Uh, they really have to have, as a parent, the right mindset. You know, it's almost like as you go into business, uh, you have a vision. You have direction that you're going. You've set the horizon. You know where you're headed. In the family, less than 1% of Christians or 1% of faith-based people have a written spiritual plan that lead, guide, and direct their path. You would never think to do that as a business owner. You never open a business without a business plan. You've never start anything, a vacation, without a plan. Do you, you don't just hop in the car or hop on the airplane and say, wherever it takes me, I'm good to go. No, you have a plan. You have a destination defined. But we don't have that for our own home. Our mindset must shift to something greater. The second thing, we must have the right tools. Because, you know, to open a business, you have to have the right tools. You have to have the right manufacturing. You have to have the right marketing. You have to have the right operations in order to function. But what do you need for your home to function properly? You have to have the right tools, the right training. And there has to be changes sometime in methodology. Maybe what worked for your generation doesn't work for this generation. But there is one consistency that I'll share with you later regardless of what generation you're in. 
And finally, we have to be a role model. We have to be a model within our own home because your kids are watching everything you do. They're watching more of what you do than what you say. And when they see us doing something opposite of what we say we believe, what we say we value, they question your very value system. And so uh, for me and my household, and I wanna encourage you for yours, for me, it starts with prayer. Uh, we, need, we teach our kids around prayer. It's the lifeblood of who we are and what we do. Uh, we teach them in accessory prayer, not just praying for themselves, but praying for others. And then, you know, as parents, we have to teach this. We can't assume that they're going to pick it up somewhere else. And then we have to pray for something greater, which is well beyond our own needs. It's a need that's greater than ours. And we'll get into that. And there has to be bonds created, relationships created. And these relationships, guys and ladies, they need to be transparent and authentic. And you determine that level of transparency and authenticity. But think about even your own business. You're building trust and you're moving out at the level of trust. Well, that's based on some form of transparency and authenticity. For men in particular, it's very difficult for us to be transparent. In fact, we hide behind a shadow of who we say we are because we're trying to portray an image that we're not. And so men especially is very difficult. We can't even get our name right a lot of times. And that's why we're asked, who are you? What are you really about? What do you really believe? What do you stand for? What is the integrity of your business? What's the integrity of your life? How transparent and authentic are you truly being? with yourself, and more importantly, with a greater power. And then we have to be available. And most important for me, I want her to be unified in the spirit. I want her to be unified in faith. Now the structure is being challenged as well. I mean, today uh, we've got all types of discussion around family and structure. And I won't get all into that because you know exactly the issues. But the family structure is being challenged. No longer is it just a conversation of a man and a woman. Uh, we're having all types of discussions of what a family structure is. And it's challenging the very fabric of our, of our family and our society and our nation. And, and then we, we have to reprioritize and prioritize what I call non-negotiables. What are your non-negotiables in life? These aren't the important things. These are the urgent things. Have you defined them? Do you know what they are? The non-negotiables. And then we need to be intentional in working that plan as you are intentional in working those plans in your own business. And we have to think about the structure and, and what are the roles within that structure. And so when I look at it, just like in a business, we think about return on investment. Well, the question is, what is your eternal return on investment, your E-R-O-I? I believe family is your greatest E-R-O-I. You'll never be able to, you may try to leave your family or maybe distance yourself from your family, but you'll always be a part of family. All of us are part of a family. And so when I look at the heart, it's not a head issue, it's a heart issue. 
It's what activates us. It's what sustains us. It's what strengthens us. It's what structures us based on our belief. What is our eternal return on investment? And I want to encourage you as business leaders who understands productivity, who understands return on investment. I want to challenge you today that every one of your staff, every one of your employees, they're going through this crisis and they're searching for an eternal return on investment. And the question is, what are you going to do as a business leader to help them manage through this change? And so for the heart, it will always be where the riches are, according to Matthew 6.21. Where is your heart today? What have you defined as your eternal return on investment? Is it to grow the largest business that you can ever think of? Or is it to have a victorious family, a strong family, a structure? and focused and that is bathed with a lifeblood of prayer well let's talk about it some more because i want to walk you through this value lessons that we teach through our ministry victorious family we teach parents how to design a step-by-step -step plan with vision statements and mission statements and values and goals and life age and stage plans and intercessory prayer and and we also teach your family covenant. What promises are you made to each other? And how do we live a life worthy of our calling? And it starts with values. You know, I grew up in a system and some of these values are, are spiritual values and some of these values are worldly values. You know, my, my grandfather uh, grew up in America. Uh, he worked uh, for his family. They were farmers. And he didn't complete, he, he had to drop out in second grade. He dropped out in second grade because his father passed away. And so he needed to work the farm. But yet he always valued education. He valued education because he realized in America, it was the way to get out of poverty. It was also the way uh, to have great change. And so my grandfather went on uh, through his life and he became even with a second grade education, he became the chief engineer for the United Airlines uh, company. United Airlines at that time was the largest airline company in the world. My grandfather headed up those, the uh, engineering for United Airlines. In fact, the safety of those planes relied on the work that my grandfather did. But my grandfather valued education. In fact, he valued it so much. He went on to get his high school diploma. But he didn't take what we call a GED test that you can just kind of go in and take it and get your diploma. No. In the 40s and 50s, my grandfather sat in the classroom on an accelerated basis. And he sat in the third grade, the fourth grade, the fifth grade, the sixth grade, all the way through to high school. And he walked across the stage so proudly holding up his high school diploma in his fifties. Many people say, why did you do this? Why did you struggle through this? Why don't you just go take the GED, get it over with? He says, because I wanted my family to see the power and the value that I have around education. 
Well, those values went on for generations throughout our family. And many people within our family went on to get their post, their graduate degrees and their, and their degrees. And it's impacted our family in quite a bit. What are your values? This value exercise that we walk you through is what's most important to you? Have you had those discussions with your spouse? Have you had those discussions with your children? And, and when you're thinking through this exercise, I want you to think about what do you want your family to live for consistently? And I want you to pare that down to just a few values that's most important to you, non-negotiable. Doesn't matter where the wind blows, you're not going to deviate with these values. And then I want you to try to write them down. In fact, I like for you to just write down maybe three to five right now and send some in the chat room. I love to see what are you valuing right now? Just, just add a chat and uh, we'll just see what people are thinking. What do you really truly value in your life right now? So I want you to write those down. We're going to come back to them. Put them in the chat room. I love to see what you're thinking. What are you valuing? What's important to you? What's non-negotiable to you right now? And by the way, did you see or did you even imagine that the greatest crisis that I would talk about for a business person would be the family? It's probably the furthest thing that you thought we would share on today, but it's your greatest crisis. All 173 people on this phone, you're facing the greatest crisis that's happening underneath your nose, and we have totally missed it. Well, as you go through this value exercise, hopefully you've had a chance to put in the chat room some of your values, some of the things that you value, some of the things that your parents valued, some of the things that maybe even your grandparent valued. And then I want, we'll come back to those a little later as we get into some Q&A. And so in this value exercise, what do you truly value and what do you want your family to value, to live for consistently? Is it some form of faith? Is it some form to have peace? And is it worship? Is it, is it knowledge? Is it prayer? Is it repentance? Is it disciple making? Is it defending their faith? Is it a generous heart? Is it a thirst of some sort for the world, for your business, whatever? What do you truly value? What do you want them to live consistently for? What are you praying for? Are you praying at all for these values? What do you want to be the most important values for your family? Have you even thought about that? Have you written them down? And then today, I want you to think about it. I don't know if you have regular devotional times or where you're quiet and you're sitting, maybe even with God's word and you're thinking through this, but ask him, what are your values? And most importantly, what's his values for you? What's his values for you? And so as we think about that, uh, we've, I hope that we've all had a chance to write those values in the chat room. We'll come back to them. So here's some key takeaways I want you to consider around values. You see some of your values, you know, the most essential ones, they're core values. The question is now, are they eternal? Are they temporal values or are they eternal? Will they burn in the fire on this side of, of heaven or will they extend? Some of your values, are they essential values? Are they the ones that you don't have yet that you desire to have? that you desire to put into practice. 
because some of them may be values that you have that you just don't even know you have them yet, but you desire them in your heart. You know, your values can incorporate every facet of your world, of your life, not just your business life, but it impacts your business life. It impacts where you live, where you work, where you play, and where you worship. It impacts every day of life. You know, for business leaders, we used to say, you know, listen, you don't put your, your Sunday hat on on Sunday and you take it off on Monday. No, you keep the hat on every day of the week, 24 seven, 365. Because as a marketplace leader, your business has great influence. It has great influence on the people that you employ, your vendors, your customers. You have an opportunity to see these values trans transition out into the world. And I want you to know that some of these values, they're timeless. They're not temporal. What are the values that you've listed? Hit these particular takeaways. The core values, values yet to be even known, but they go beyond this world. What do those look like for you? Well, in the last few minutes that I wanna wrap up, I want you to say that one of the greatest values that I've learned in corporate America I learned to get me through crises is that we have to build lives together. You know, a leader's life, it carries over to another person's life. It's not just about you. It's not just about how big you can grow a business. It's not just about how much stuff you can accumulate. A leader's life, a true, what we call level five leader in the John Maxwell organization. They not only invest in a life, but they look for the reproduction of that investment in a life. What life are you investing in? How are you investing in your children's life? Because a leader's life, it carries over to another person's life. It's not just about them. And then they will continue to be this kindred force and spirit in the lives of others. You know, when you think about the workplace, people don't leave a job because of money and pay and so forth, for the most part, they leave the job because of the fit factor, because of the culture. And they don't feel that the leadership is investing in them. So if you want healthy, productive organizations, how are you investing in another person's life? You know, someone taught me uh, years ago, as I was going through crisis, to Dr. James Burke, the CEO of Johnson & Johnson. And when we were all thinking about the crises and how do we recuperate the $150 million that we lost in 24 hours, Dr. James Burke said something so profound because Johnson & Johnson has a credo, a C-R-E-D-O, a credo. In fact, it's on the wall in, in, in Brunswick, New Jersey, which is where Johnson & Johnson headquarters is. And the credo reads that our customer is the lifeblood of our organization. And we, it was not just something to put on a plaque or something to put on a wall. It was a credo that we live by. And it was the very same credo that we use to put a plan together that revitalized, that recaptured, that rebuilt, that retooled Johnson & Johnson. And we were, we not only secured what we had lost. But in three months, a record time, we had won 
everything we had lost back in terms of market share and exceeded it because we focused on the customer, not on how much money we would make or how much market share we, we would recover. We focus on the customer. We did the right thing for the customer. Integrity, integrity is a non-negotiable. Integrity is a non-negotiable. Whose life are you investing in? I believe it starts at home and then it goes out. Let me say to you that uh, we've written many of a, a book on the topic. And this is one that I hope challenged you at least look at. And the question is, do your children believe what you believe or what you desire them to believe? Now, for me, uh, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a faith-based person. I believe in, in Jesus Christ as the son of God, not just some teacher, uh, not just some great man. That's just my belief system. I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm bold and courageous and proud to, do, to say that I am. And many people will have perspective. And I say to people, whatever your perspective is, just go to your deathbed, believe in it. But for me and mine, I'm going to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but you have to examine what your beliefs are. And so I wrote a book on the topic that my value system is I was asking the question is, do my children believe? How are they coming to faith? What's their faith journey going to look like? And so we started to form this organization, Victoria's Family, and we train master family champions who do training and coaching in this area for parents. And our, our desire is we reach 9.2 million families around the world and even more. Uh, we're now uh, in countries all around the world. Uh, and we're moving out to reach every family. Um, to examine themselves, to have a written spiritual plan, to lead and guide and direct their path. Because if you don't have a plan, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And so we're in a crisis and we can no longer be non-planners. We have to think through it. We have to think through this crisis. We have to develop our, the tools to get us through. And so as I wrap up, I won't go through this slide, but this is what we see on our side of Victoria's family. It's on a mission to train up. Uh, family champions, parents who are passionate about the growth and the spiritual formation of their, of their children. And here are the things that we believe, and here are the things that we value. Here's our mission. This is just ours. It doesn't have to be yours, but this is the mission that we're on. Our family champions, they're committed to walking with the Lord. They have a deep desire to model spiritual leadership in the home. These are fathers and mothers who practice godly but parenting. They're passionate about building a strong family. And, and they value things like the Lordship of Jesus Christ in my case. That's what I believe. He is the Lord and he is the one that I want my kids to fall madly in love with. They have a faith inheritance. I want to pass on this faith to tell them about who he is and what he's done. And for generations to come, not just one generation, because we invest in other people's lives. And we, I, I like to see it live on and on and on. And, and there's a design for family that I believe in. It's a God's design for family. And I believe it's been the very thing that has presented this crisis to us today is we've, we've found, we've redefined family. And so uh, we need to redeem families worldwide. We need to have love for others. The, the really centerpiece that we've all been given is to love. In fact, parents ask me all around the world, Terrence, what's the secret? What's the secret? I tell them one thing.
love well. Love your spouse well, love your children well. But for me also, and most importantly, I have to love my God well. I have to love and fall madly in love because of what he's done for me. And really what he can do and what he has done for you. And I have a great compassion for the brokenness. I, I have to look at every employee and I have a compassion for them. I don't see them as an asset or a liability. I see them as the most valuable asset in my business. These are the folks that I want to invest in. And if I invest rightly in them, they will invest rightly in my business. And so our process, I want to see a strong love for the Lord and one another. Why can't we do that? All around, you see the issues that's happening in America. There's disunity, and I want to see unity. Well, how does that come about? We have to begin to see a strong love for one another. And so we have a process of assessment, training workshops, transformational resources, but ongoing coaching and discipleship. Uh, and the idea is to see these kingdom-minded parents building kingdom legacy homes. Is your home a kingdom legacy home? What are you teaching them? What are you valuing? What's most important to you? And so what is this kingdom leader's greatest challenge? What is your greatest challenge? From a businessman, I think this is it, is Matthew 6.24. He says, no one can serve two masters. And a lot of times we try to serve multiple masters and even maybe even have multiple gods. But either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. But the fact of the matter is we can't serve both God and money. And once I realized that in my own life, and I realized the non-negotiables, and I realized where I wanted to place my value, my focus, my heart, and my, parent, my family's focus, I realized that the greatest challenge was a heart issue. It was a heart issue. What is yours? So here's one I, I maybe throw out as the last one or thought for you. Many parents that I meet will say, well, Terrence, I did the best I could. I did, I, I did the best I could with my children. But maybe they didn't turn out the way I thought they would. Or maybe they're not turning out the way I, I think they would. And I, and I say to them, Yes, absolutely. You did the best that you could with your children. But the question I have for you, are you presenting the best that God can do for your children? See, it's not the fact that you're doing the best that you can. The question is, are you presenting the best that God can do for them? Well, thank you for uh, this opportunity to speak with you and to share a little bit about who we are and who I am and what we do. And I'm praying for you and I'm praying for your family that you would find that eternal value that's non-negotiable. Thank you so much.